Last week we began a new series in the Gospel of John, called it Meeting Jesus. And we looked at John, actually we started in John 20, where John tells us why he wrote the Gospel. And the reason he wrote the Gospel is so that people would believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, and have life in his name. So the purpose of John's Gospel is belief, that we would trust, that we would rest in Jesus. And so today, we're actually going to begin now at the beginning. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. John writes this. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own place. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only who is God himself, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, your written word to us. And Lord, now we pray that you would come and that you would bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of your word. So that just as John desires, just as you desire, that we would believe and have life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I like to network. That's the the professional term for it. What, What I mean by that is I like to introduce people to each other. So if I have... Right when you when you when you live in lots of different places like we have over the past few years, you develop all these different circles of of friends. And so, 
I like to connect those circles uh, where, where, those, where there are points of contact. So if I think somebody would, would share a similar interest or they would work well together, for instance, I've connected my friend Will with my friend Neil, right? I like to connect people. Or if you are going to set somebody up on a date, I don't, I don't like to do that, I don't do that, but if you do that, Right, if you're going to set somebody up on a date, what you need to tell that other person is, who, this, who is this guy? Right? So when I'm talking up a friend or when I'm talking up somebody, your question, if I'm saying, hey, I want to introduce you, you need to get to know my friend Clay. Let me tell you about Clay. Let me tell, why, let me tell you why you would be wonderful friends with Clay. Right? You're, you need to ask the question, who is this guy? Who is this clay? And that's why John begins the way that he does. He wants people to meet Jesus, but he has to introduce Jesus. He has to give the backstory. He has to say, here's who this Jesus guy is. This is his identity. And every one of the gospel writers does this. Mark starts with Jesus' ministry. He actually starts with a guy named John the Baptist. So he starts at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew and Luke start at Jesus' birth and his childhood. But John goes back even further. John, in fact, goes all the way back to a time when there was no time. He goes back to the beginning to tell us about Jesus. And here's the gist of Jesus' backstory. Here's the gist of John 1, 1 through 18. God became a man... So that man could know God. God became a man so that man could know God. And here's how John breaks it down for us. The first thing he tells us is that Jesus is none other than the eternal creator. Right? He's none other than, than God himself. Right? John says, in the beginning was the word. Now why does he use the word? Why does he use that name? Well, if you're familiar with the Bible or if you ever read the Bible, you'll notice that God is always talking. God is always speaking, right? He is a, he is a speaking God. He is not silent. The Bible is full of God's words to his people. And if you, when John says, in the beginning, there's one place that that makes you think of. And that's Genesis 1.1. And what is God doing in Genesis 1-1? He's creating. He's creating by molding little shapes with his hands. No, he's creating with his words. That when God speaks, things happen. And so like we say of, we say of important people, when she speaks, people listen. Right? You've heard that phrase before. Well, when God speaks, things happen. His word always, in every case, bears a result. It can't not do it. That's what God's word does. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you read, you'll see things like God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be dry land. And there's dry land. God's word is effective and powerful God speaks to create. God speaks to reveal himself. 
God is relational. He speaks so that people will know him. Chew on that for just a second. The God of the Bible is relational. He does not create and then step back into the shadows. He does not create and, and just kind of sit off at a distance and watch and wait to see what happens. No, God creates so that he can have relationship with what he creates. God is relational, so he speaks to create, he speaks to reveal, and all of that, that active speaking and doing is wrapped up in the Word. And the Word is a person. And that person was there at the very beginning. In fact, that, that Word, that person, he is the doer of creation. He is the agent of creation. He's the one who carries out the work. And what John is saying when he says the word is in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, means that there has never been a time when the word was not. That from the very get-go, the word was there. But then he says this, in the beginning in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So what John is saying is that this word is both different from God and the same. The look of confusion on your face is exactly what uh, is exactly what it should be, right? Like, because my human brain, when I hear that there is sameness and difference in God. The little wires in my brain kind of fry a little bit because that doesn't make sense. That we have a hard time grasping that something can be both different and the same at the same time. Unless, of course, now the Bible doesn't have a problem with that. We just have a hard hard time grasping it. But think about marriage. What do we say? What do we say about marriage? You have two people who become one flesh, and so my wife and I represent. In a sense, my wife and I represent the same person. And yet, we are two distinct. We represent the same entity, but we are two distinct persons in that. And if the, the analogy is not perfect, but that begins to get you in the direction of what John is saying. And that will trip you up, right? This concept has given people heartburn for centuries. In fact, that's why we read... Uh, from the Nicene Creed, because that creed was written in response to a man named Arius. Arius, who was alive in the late 2nd, early 3rd centuries, he read what John wrote, and he said, that's impossible. There's no way that can happen. The Word must be a created being. The Word must be a separate God. There's only one God. There can't be more than one God, and so... The word is instead, the word is a God. He's like a minor deity. Right? If God is the major leagues, then the word is the minor leagues. And so Arius gets people on his side and he, and he develops this whole set of teaching and the church actually has to come together and say, no, that's false. You're not reading John right. And yet Arius' false teachings persist to today. Right? This still trips people up. The modern day Jehovah's Witnesses believe this very thing, right? And they actually tamper with the Greek of John to say that the Word is not God himself. He is not divine, or he is, a, he is the firstborn. He is the first created being. 
a deity, but not God. But that's not what John says. John is very clear. The Word is in the beginning. The Word is with God, and He is God. He is in the beginning with God. And you can see it the more John keeps going. John says, in him was life. You and I must be created. Right? You and I do not have life in and of ourselves. We must get life from somewhere else. We are created beings. But the word is life in himself, another indicator that he is God. He is none other than God himself. He is the eternal creator. And he is the light of men. He gives light. And the, dark, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, has not overcome it. I want you to think about this. Light and darkness in John's gospel, they are, that's not just a physical term, that's a moral term, right? That the, light, the light represents all that is good, the darkness represents all that is evil. But here's something else that, that this verse tells us. They are not equal. Light and dark are not equal forces. When you cut a light on, when you light a candle, when you start a fire, it chases the darkness away. And the darkness cannot conquer it. Right? When I come into this room and I flip the lights on, that light is not in danger of darkness coming back in and snuffing it out. So light and dark are not equal forces. Light is more powerful than dark. And when the light of Jesus shines, the darkness cannot master it. Now, why does all that matter? Why do we have to go through all this trouble of saying that Jesus is God and yet he's distinct from God? That's a lot of heavy theology. Because what John is saying in the story that he's going to tell is that when you meet Jesus, you actually meet God. That everything that Jesus says and everything that Jesus does are the works and acts of God himself. In fact, Jesus is going to claim that. Jesus claims that he is God. And if it's not true, then Jesus is a liar or he's crazy. And we cannot follow him. And we need to close the book and we need to walk away right now. John's entire life and his entire gospel are based on the reality that Jesus is himself God and that he is worth believing. But if Jesus is the eternal creator, we find that the created ignore their creator. Look at verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world... He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own place, or his own things, and his own people did not receive him. So here's what, here's what John is saying. Jesus created the world. There is, there is Everything that you see was created by him. There is nothing that you see that was not created by him. He is the life and light of the world. And yet when he came into it, the world did not know him, did not acknowledge him, ignored him. The dark world did its best, does its best to ignore the light. Jesus 
God has been speaking, but before Jesus arrives on the scene, God has been speaking to the Jewish people for thousands of years. And so when Jesus comes as a man, he comes to his own people, his own people, the Jewish people. He comes to his own place. But imagine, he gets to his place. He gets to his people, and they don't receive him. They hear him speaking, they hear him talking, they see the wonderful things that he's doing, and they don't buy it. These people who have the word, Jesus will even say that salvation comes from the Jews. They've had all of God's revelation, but they don't receive Jesus. But that's not the last word. But, to all who did receive him, but, that's the greatest conjunction in the Bible. But, all hope is not lost. The word is not completely ignored. To those who do receive him, he gives them the right to become children of God. They, he gives them a role in the family. Spiritual children. They become children of God. So that's, that's what this means. No one is born a Christian. And we're going to talk about this more in John chapter 3 where this is really laid out. But no one is born a Christian. You are not, you are not born into this family. Little ones, even though your parents bring you here every Sunday morning and they maybe teach you the Bible at home and you memorize, maybe you've memorized some catechism questions, you memorize some stories in the Bible, all of that being true, knowing all of that does not make you a child of God. What makes you a child of God is receiving Jesus, is believing the Word, is trusting in Him. To be a part of this family, you must be adopted. So Jesus is the creator. The creation ignores the creator. So what happens? The creator becomes a creature to redeem the creation. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now listen, if verse 1 trips you up, Verse 14 ought to knock you over. Because, I mean, look at what John just said. And look, wherever, wherever there is a hard doctrine in the Bible, this is where false teaching always crops up. Because people take a truth like what's revealed in verse 14, and they don't believe it. And so they come up with all these other alternative suggestions. Well, maybe, maybe, ju- maybe Jesus just seemed like a man. Maybe it was just God in a skin suit. He didn't really take on flesh. He just appeared to be. That's not what John says. John says the Word became flesh. The God who created skin and bones and fingernails took on skin and bone and fingernails. The God who designed blood to course through veins would know his own blood coursing through his own veins. In every respect, the Word becomes flesh. God becomes a man. And this is still the distinction of Christianity that, that gives people fits. Right? Uh, the, 
the Muslims refused to believe that God would allow himself to be crucified. That at the last moment that Jesus was on the cross, that, that the deity part of him kind of went away and somebody else, or somebody else was on the cross and not Jesus. We want to invent all kind of alternative solutions to verse 14, but it's clear. God became a man. Why? Why does the word become flesh? John tells us. So that we could behold his glory. John uses Old Testament pictures here. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word for dwelt is literally set up his tent, right? And the the picture that John is using comes from the Exodus, where God rescues his people out of slavery, and and then he tells them to build them this huge tent, this tabernacle, And you set up the tabernacle in the middle of the camp so all of the people are living around God, living around God's tent, right? And God's glory, this cloud of fire and smoke, would come down on the tent. And that's how you knew that God was in your midst, right? His glory would come down and His glory would go away. His glory would come down and it would go away. And so what John is saying is what they saw, right? That was how they saw their glory back then. Jesus is how we see the glory of God now. Jesus is the new tabernacle. Jesus is the real tabernacle. He says he's full of grace and truth. See, in Exodus, Moses goes up on the mountain in Exodus 33 and 34, and he says, God, I want to see your glory. You've been gracious to me. Would you show me your glory? And what God says is, if I were to to fully unleash my glory on you, you, you would die. You couldn't bear it. But what I will do is I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you up so that you're not destroyed. And I'm going to proclaim my name. Right? Exodus 34, 6. He, call, he, he calls himself, he declares his glory by saying, The Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what Jesus is. He's full of Grace and truth. He uses that same phrase, translated differently, full of grace and truth. And then he says this, No one has ever seen God. Not Abraham, who who is said to have walked with God. Not Moses, who is said to have dealt face to face with God. Even Isaiah, who has a vision of God in in Isaiah chapter 6. He actually doesn't see God. He sees just the train of his robe. No one has ever seen God. So how do we see him? How do we know him? The the, the one and only, the one who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He is the one full of grace and truth. He is the one who reveals God's glory. When he says... From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What John is saying is that all of that Old Testament stuff finds its completion in Jesus. God was gracious in the Old Testament. He revealed himself through the law. He revealed himself through the sacrifices. He revealed himself through the prophets. Jesus has come and replaced all of that. 
So we could actually read it from his fullness. We have all received grace in place of grace. The grace of Jesus Christ has replaced the old and done with grace of Moses. We have something new and better. Something new and improved. We have Jesus. Jesus is the better grace intended to replace the former graces in which God revealed himself. Paul calls Jesus the image of God invisible in Colossians 1. Hebrews says this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus is uniquely qualified to make the glory of God known. If you look at the end of verse 18, where it says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only who is God himself, who's at the Father's side, literally in the bosom of the Father. Right, So he's right there with the Father. That, that, that word is about the uniqueness of their relationship. He knows the Father. The Father knows him. He has made him known. That word for made him known, it means to tell a story, to narrate a story. To explain something. Jesus is the story and the narrator. He is the one who tells people what God is like. He, Jesus is God's final word. He is the last word who reveals everything we need to know about the Father. So what? Why does all of that heavy theology, to be honest somewhat confusing theology. Why does that matter? What does it have to do with us? Well, up there where it says the light has come into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, that that the light comes into the world, we are that world. And we are still dark. I mean, just look at the headlines on a global scale. Particularly if you watch Fox News, like the Doom and Gloom channel, right? Everything is dark. And it's all going to burn up in a fiery ball, right? The world is dark on a global scale. Child trafficking, hunger, Ebola, civil wars. But even on a personal scale, rejection, hardship, loneliness, illness, disappointment. That's what God embraces when he takes on flesh. When the word becomes flesh, he comes into that world. He embraces our darkness. Not not our sin. The Bible is clear that Jesus never sins. But he wades into it. He wades into the darkness. He faces temptation. I mean, think about this. In heaven, Jesus never experienced death. He never experienced pain. He never experienced loss, rejection. He never even got so much as a paper cut until he was born as a little baby. 
and had to survive without antibiotics and had to make it through to an adult, a craftsman, who I imagine probably hit his thumb with a hammer more than one time. The God who never knew rejection faced rejection from his own friends. The God who never knew what it meant to be sick got sick. Who never knew what it meant to be to lose. He lost. He lost friends. And he lost his life. And he did all of that. He embraced all of that. As the Nicene Creed says, for us and for our salvation. Or as Hebrews says, so that we would have a Savior that relates to us, that was made like us in every way except without sin. God experiences the ravages of sin, allows himself to be ravaged by sin so that you and I could be free from sin. In taking on flesh, Jesus breaks down the wall. This barrier that separates God and man, Jesus breaks through it. That's what the incarnation, that's why the incarnation matters. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to believe? To believe this far out idea. This nearly impossible truth that you, the holy and high king of the universe, would submit yourself to human birth, to human life, to the struggles and the fights and the temptations even to death, that you would submit yourself to all of that. But that unlike us, you would be victorious over it. You would succeed where we have failed. Help us to believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.